For October 18th, 2010, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 120, Magical Realist Jackass-scape. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From the left ho- coast, host, coast, coast, I am your uh, unable-to-speak host, Matthew Rather, here with the panel to overthink many, many things, uh, including the question of the week. This week, in honor of IMDb's 20th anniversary, if you could create an internet database of some kind to sort, uh, catalog, categorize, and rank things... Uh, out there in the world, what kinds of things would you want to base your data on, or what data would your base base be based on? Based. I still can't speak. Uh, coming in from Cambridge, Massachusetts, it is beautiful uh, there on the East Coast. It is Peter Fenzel. What up? What up? <laughs> Zap! Zap! In, uh, in, in joke. Look it up. In, OTI out. All right. Um, so I was thinking about this for a long time because you gave us all three weeks to consider this question because the IMDb anniversary is not something you just made up right before the podcast. So I would say, after much deliberation, I would want to have the international pair of shoes database where okay. each individual pair of shoes that has existed gets listed and ranked and described like where it went what it did and people would upload their own shoes and they'd be like this is a pair of Reeboks this pair of Reeboks is primarily used to watch football and go on the elliptical runner and I feel like if you could I know that this is the reason why it doesn't exist is that it's of course a a hugely impossible task because there's so many millions of people wearing so many millions of original individual pairs of shoes that all see all sorts of crazy use Right, and I feel like the catalog of any one of those pairs of shoes would be a phenomenally interesting uh, uh, catalog of experiences and locations. Uh, even people now, who just go back and forth to work; they do all sorts of random stuff. Now, of course, if you were willing to to pay a little money, you could sign up for the international the International Movie Shoe Database Pro and learn about the shoes that Kevin Bacon is going to be wearing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought you were going to say that if with a little bit of money, you could get a little bit of extra on the side, a little bit of something-something, International Shoe Database After Dark, uh, <laughs> which would be how we finance the whole project. But no, it ju- I just feel like that's a huge... That is, a, that, that is a, a sum of information that I feel like would be amazing if it existed. Just like where, if I could go through all the pairs of shoes that Jordan has ever worn, and when did he start wearing them, and when did he stop wearing them, and like why, like why did he change his pair of shoes? And it's like, well, Jordan actually wears pairs of shoes for about five years, and it turns out that he only changes them when they literally fall apart. Or like, oh, Jordan has a favorite kind of uh, British knight high top that he wore when he was in seventh grade, but he stopped wearing it when he got to be a senior. Uh, but not bef- but not after he left high school. So there's like a period of time where he thought he was too old for it. I just feel like if Google really wants to organize all the information in the world, like this could fill many, many novels. So this there you go. The, uh, there are privacy implications to this because this is kind of like footbook. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> that's the way that's call it. Definitely. Because I don't. <laughs> I don't want my, 
I don't want my yeah. shoe choices put on the internet um, without my <laughs> consent. You know what I mean? I have to opt in to, uh, to the shoe database. I don't want you to know, for example, uh, that my shoes were Vel- Velcro, uh, had Velcro straps long past the point when I should have been able to tie shoelaces. And I also don't want you to know about the, uh, the embarrassing Reebok pump. Uh, years. <laughs> What's embarrassing about a Reebok pump, man? They made you jump higher. Look, it's in the results. You know, like it, 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 clearly Reebok pumps worked because the higher jumping technology is still in use today in all of America's top sports, which is proof that the Reebok pump was in fact not a contrivance but actually functioned. So <laughs> there you go. There you go. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> bouncing, bouncing, uh, coming east, coming towards me. We're working our way west, uh, like the course of empire. Or the sun on an average day. Uh, we go to Mark Lee in Park Slope, Brooklyn, New York. Yeah, wait, who's the Oriental on the Occidental? Oh! Uh, wait, who's to say the Empire's always go west, though? All right, Alexander went east. That's true. And then he That's went right. west? I, I don't know. I, different topic for a different podcast. I mean, he went okay. east, and then he went back to the middle. And when he got back to the middle, that's when things kind of went bad for him, because Angelina Jolie was there. Uh, this, uh, yeah, she always messes things up. And there's anyway, a bunch of crazy my, hallucination scenes. Anyway, continue. My my choice is pretty obvious one. It would be a karaoke database. Uh, uh-huh. this, this would be it would have two. There'd be two facets to this database. One would be a a cataloging of um songs aspects of the songs. Some of which came from my uh, you know karaoke quotient article, which you know was a little controversial. I'm still rethinking and writing staff about what makes a quote unquote good karaoke song. But it would be actually very you know factual stuff in there like length of instrumental solos the key that it's in the highest pitch that's in there so that you know you can kind of get a sense of what's going to be in your range or not but it would also have a user rating component and this i think could be a really big uh breakthrough something actually very useful for the karaoke going population where you know you go to karaoke uh evening and you rate songs about how well they are and you also sort of like you know not just sort of overall rating but also different rankings in terms of like danceability ironic slash comedic value all these other different uh you know sub ratings you can give and so then you know if you're like oh you know you get there'll be an iphone app for this as well to access this database so if you're thinking oh i'm really looking for an ironic song that's in my key range from the 80s boop 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 you got it yeah i mean you know song lyric information takes up an enormous quantity of the internet <laughs> um, <laughs> like so it's weird it's so devolved too right i mean how, how does that information i know i know f- from i know from several articles where i've been called to account for this that uh typographical errors um proliferate through multiple lyric oh, oh i wasn't even thinking about the lyrics i was just talking about aspects of song Wait, you would make a karaoke oh. database that didn't have the words to the songs yeah because the oh, words oh, are oh. on the, the words are on the screen at the karaoke <laughs> You know, it's it's a question of choosing. It's a question of choosing the song, and you either know it or you don't. You know what I mean? You're not going to learn the song from your iPhone app while you're standing there at you know duet. I don't know, fourteen or whatever it is. I don't know. I've done that. Forty-eight, thirty-five, or forty-eight. I don't know. I've done that. I've looked up a song to see whether I know the lyrics or not. I've definitely looked up a song and been like, hmm, is this a song that I can sing with confidence? Oh, it starts with that line. Okay, that sounds good. Um, <laughs> no, but there's a good reason for that, Pete, because I think like all the lyric sites that you see on the internet, they're basically not licensed. They're all some, some operating in some very... I know, they're also like launching malware yeah. on your computer. Yeah, and so it's awful uh, ringtone pop-up ads as well. It's, yeah, a, it's, yeah, it's yeah. a bad scene. And like the music industry, it's just yet another example of the music industry shooting themselves in the foot for not creating something viable and workable that can benefit all parties. Surprise, surprise, right? 
it would have been really easy for the record for like the music industry to set up a website that had lyrics to all the songs. You would think, right? And also, that would probably also prevent the creation of said karaoke database. Um, so until then, the idea was simply live in my mind, in my mind. My, that's like Mark, the database. We, yeah, like, we could actually build that with Drupal, probably. Uh, you know, not not trivially, but we could. It wouldn't be a trivial effort, but we could do it. Maybe we'll maybe we'll start that. Maybe that we'll make that an overthinking it side project and uh, monetize it. <laughs> hey, 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 Matt, hey, Matt. What's what's better than a million dollars? What? A billion dollars. Hey, hey, Mark, Mark, Mark. What's better than a billion dollars? Uh, um, uh, the the. Cheese fries? A billion dollars. Oh, I mean, a also trillion. A, trillion. <laughs> a, a company with negative cash flow? Exactly. <laughs> Moving yeah, on. Another man who can take us higher to a place where love can breathe. <laughs> golden trees, man. Golden trees. <laughs> oh, I always thought it was golden streets. Oh, maybe it's golden streets. That makes more sense. <laughs> I don't know why they would want golden trees. I would look it up on the internet, except I'm afraid of getting a virus or yeah. I don't want that ringtone ad pop up my screen again. Well, that's a terrible in-joke. You you have to not only ha- know us, but have gone to karaoke with us to get that joke. Um, no, people know that song. They know how, the song. That's how we alienate and confound our audience here on the internet. <laughs> you think you're the only person who knows the words to a Creed song? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sorry, that's fairly narcissistic. No, but, the, well, it's it's the context. I mean, the Creed song is oh, the, okay. the traditional karaoke closer. Anyway, um, no, get low is the Christian character. Oh, you're right. It's the first. You sing higher, and then you sing get low. That's how you close out a karaoke night. Speaking it of is, like, speaking of the course of empire, you start at the height and then you decline. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Uh, sorry, I was trying to I was trying to do an intro to you, Jordan, but I'll just do it this way. Stokes. I think that the best thing to have a database of would be like a really comprehensive, really thorough, really accurate database of every internet meme. Like the people who do know your meme, they're pretty good, but there are lots of times where they run into a brick wall and they just say like, well, we've traced it to these three sources and we don't really know anything more than this. If you could list everyone who was involved in every one and then sort of like connect between them the way you can on IMDb, that would be really awesome. Hey, you know, actually, I have a treat for you, Jordan. I have a treat for you. Yeah. There's a little place called Encyclopedia Dramatica um, that you should check out. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been there. It's a giant shit show. <laughs> right. I was going to say, like, the, the nice thing about ID, IMDb is that it's not full of random curse words. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like how it's encyclopedia dramatic. I'm looking at the website now. They they have the, the diphthong AE in the middle of it. Um, no, but encyclopedia dramatica is pretty much what you describe, except not very well organized or professional, really. I mean, it, it doesn't go for it. That's not their angle, right? It's like it's like yeah. sort of like a, a repo- it's a wiki of Fortran, basically. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway. That's the dream. I mean, that's the dream of a scholar, isn't it? Like, uh, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could actually trace the the history, the development of these of these things that are kind of impossible to trace because of the uh, the kind of the multiple paths that information takes and and the incredible speed with which it it uh, is disseminated and mutates, right? Well, yeah, that, it's the dream of a scholar, and also the dream of someone who has a blog and wonders about how things become insanely popular, right? Like. <laughs> Really, really, uh, the, the perfect storm for me, right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, well, here's mine. I would like to create an internet database of uh, public restrooms. 
in in like um, ooh, I actually yeah, I had that idea a long time ago. It's a good idea, definitely, in, definitely, definitely. You know, in different places, there's a like, you know, there's I mean? an iPhone app. Oh, is there really? Yeah. Like I, you know what I mean? I'm standing in the middle of West Hollywood or something like that, and I really need to take a pee pee. And uh, you know, where do I go? What restaurants are easy to just walk into? You know, turn right at the host stand and uh, and head back down the hall to the to the bathroom there. You know, what are the bathrooms with the best amenities? Are there bathrooms with attendants who you know squeeze the soap into your hand as you're trying to leave? As a uh, you know, as a uh, come on to get you to tip them or something like that. Or something else. This is West Hollywood, after all. <laughs> right, right. Of so, uh, you know, um, I, okay, well, I guess my database exists. I have to do some, some checking on iTunes. But I would like, uh, I would like to sort uh, publicly accessible restrooms by, you know, neighborhood, by level of cleanliness, by level of fanciness, you know, by uh, bidet presence. <laughs> <laughs> Man, a public bidet, that is a... Uh... Oh, God. <laughs> oh, Lord and a crutch. Oh, man. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you made a database of online databases, you create a temporal causality loop that then launches you back because you have to put your own database into it if you put it online, which means that it's just an endless... Uh, it's like being. It's like looking at the back of your haircut at the hair salon. It's just this endless row of ever-repeating cyclical things. So, man, that'd be more fun if I were like, I don't know, I don't know, high, I guess. I yeah. <laughs> so, hey, 20 years, 20 years of the Internet Movie Database, um, mm. you know, if you want to see Overthinking, its greatest uh, contribution to IMDb, uh, search for the movie Yale Athletes Broad Jumping, a... <laughs> <laughs> 1899 classic, yeah. <laughs> and you can see. Um, please, uh, please scroll down and vote the review helpful. We would like to make it one of the most, <laughs> one of the most helpful reviews on IMDb. So, if you're listening to this, the second um, most contribu- useful contribution of what we're thinking to IMDb after the Yale athletes broad jumping review is, of course, uh, well, to, not to toot my own horn too much, but well, I'm going to toot my own horn. Is the uh, statistical analysis that I've done on the IMDb top 250s. To top 250 movies list uh, and looking at how it's changed over the last three years. I kind of do an annual thing and pull down the list and see what's fallen off the list and sure. what's coming onto the list. And no, no, to no one's real surprise, I think the list, we see that the bias on the list is skewing more towards newer movies. Right. Surprise, surprise. Right. Yeah. yeah. yeah they, so, they took Laura off, right? In the last one. I, I was reading your article and I was like shocked and appalled by that. Laura? What movie? Yeah. Is that like Carrie, but with a different chick? Kind of. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's, so, um, explain, uh, I've never heard of this movie actually before. So I don't oh, know. Well, it's just, it's fantastic. It's, a, it's an early Vincent Price role when he was like a heartthrob. He's a minor, minor part in the movie, but it's hilarious to see him. And it's just like one of, one of the great uh, film noirs ever, um, really landmark for, in the history of film music, landmark in the history of film. And the yeah, but is it, it a landmark in the history of training your dragon? Because that's what I want to know. <laughs> that's the thing. Like that, that it got knocked off by you know by movies even that I liked, like How to Train Your Dragon and Zombieland and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Really bothered me. Mm-mm. 
Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I love IMDb. Like, love, 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 love IMDb. One of the coolest, best things to come out of the internet. I think it set the tone for how the internet was going to be used by a large number of people, including ourselves. Just that, like, real, that sort of proving, it's proves it's possible. This, like, test case for comprehensive information about a beloved non-academic subject. Uh, and it was just it's just this whole new style of archiving and access like I love IMDb when the internet was first something in my life new uh, if you exclude things that were on services like AOL or Prodigy uh, the two things that really got me super jazzed about the internet were IMDb and the Perseus Project at Tufts University, which was the very early uh, adoption by Tufts Classics Department that put a number of, of uh, or many, many, many classic uh, Greek and Latin texts online uh, and Greek and Latin dictionaries and such, uh, like Lewis and Short and things sure. like that. I mean, I remember the earlier days of the sort of public internet, the internet where people were using it, you know, who weren't computer scientists. Uh, the classics were really well represented. Mathematics very well represented. Just people really cared about something. And IMDb just made movies. I mean, think about the, the elbows that it's rubbing with there. It's like people cared about movies as much as they cared about math, which obviously seems kind of paradoxical. But, like, I mean, obviously they care more about <laughs> movies than they care about math. But do they care enough about movies to, like, put together, like, a giant computer science project that, like, coordinates and collates and all that other stuff? It just – I don't know. I feel like it has a profound effect on the way that we think about information in our world, this one project. And, I, and I mean, a, compare it to something like – you know, like the National Portrait Gallery at the Smithsonian, which one of them has done more to kind of aggrandize and legitimize and make the case for and disseminate and endorse the cultural output of this country, right? You know, like they should be getting billions of tax dollars for what they do with IMDb because huh. uh, they, are, they are like the Smithsonian of everything that has to do with movies. They're like the giant online museum. Um, and I, oh, but the interesting thing about IMDb is that it doesn't make any kind of claims for uh, for you know notability. It's no, just no, no. if it's a movie that got made, it, it really it it, uh, it bows to the market. If it had a, any kind of commercial release, it's on IMDb, and if it didn't, it will never go on IMDb. Right. I mean, the main political stance of IMDb is that it does use crediting convention that's used in Hollywood, right? Like, it endorses the Hollywood discourse surrounding the various union agreements that dictate who makes a movie and how. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a really huge underpinning of that way of thinking about making movies. And if you think about... Um, the fact that movies have become much more global now than they were when Lion BB launched 20 years ago, you know, I feel like the Hollywood model, to the extent that it is pervasive and still exists, to the extent that it does still exist, can owes a lot to IMDb using its language. Sort of like how VHS owes it to the porn industry. You know what I mean? Like, like, <laughs> like, like yeah, sure. you think it's because you keep doing the contracts, but it's like other people think of themselves as executive producers because that title means something outside the industry. And in order for it, if IMDb had picked a different way of describing the people who had made movies and had gotten as popular as it did, it would have seriously undermined the discourse surrounding the making of films. So I think that's an interesting, uh, interesting situation there, too. So Pete, what do you, you like? You're, you're a big fan of IMDb. What do you think then of the top 250 list itself? Oh, I mean, whatever. I mean, I think that, 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 that like, like, like top lists are all well and good. Like, let's see what's on there right now. I'm going to go look at the IMDb top 250. What is it? The 250 by what? Now, now I'll, I'll say this. I don't think that the top 250 is really what you should look at to determine the movies that like are good or that people really like. I think that the coolest list that people should really look to for uh, for sort of a history of great movies is look at the the top 10 box office numbers for individual years and look back it's like what were the top movies of like 1984 
right? Like, what were the top movies of 1985? And it actually paints a very different picture of a lot of these historical periods than you get through the various retconning and commentary and critique. You know, people who have a bias towards the things that they're interested in, uh, which, of course, is a practice I endorse. Like, have a bias towards what you like, you know? Don't apologize for what you love. But it's just like, you know, it's like finding out that, you know, actually the 80s aren't really about hair metal bands. They're about, like, Lionel Richie. You know what I mean? Hey, it's uh, like... Well, it's like the John Hughes movies that we always associate with the 80s didn't right. make a whole lot of bank back in the day. It's no, in fact, Star long- Trek movies were, like, ten times more popular in the 80s. Hey, like, uh, that kind of... Hey, quality. Pete? Yeah? Uh, one, Beverly Hills Cop. Two, yep. Ghostbusters. The, yep. the first Ghostbusters. Three, yep. uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yep. Four, Gremlins. Ooh. See, this is a powerful list. Yep. Five, The Karate Kid. Man, this is a legendary list. Six, a, uh, a modern classic that I like to call Police Academy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Six top grossing movie of the 80s? Of, no, of 1984. 1984. Yep. 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 Uh, number seven, Footloose. <laughs> Think about this. Isn't this list amazing? Like, I'm getting chills listening to this list. <laughs> I want to hear this list. This actually, up. yeah, this, this year is fantastic. Uh, yeah. uh, Footloose, number eight, Romancing the Stone. Ooh, hmm. see, that's something you wouldn't think of renting. Yeah, that's, well, and yeah. there you go. And that's one that, like, <laughs> there's, there's your surprise. Um, yeah, exactly. N- uh, number nine, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Man. Right, yep. And number ten. And that one, was, that one was terrible, and it was still in the top ten grossing films of the year. It was, yeah. It made $75 yep. million, dollars, and that's uh, 76, $76.5 million. Because uh, it cost about $5 in a, in a bunch of... <laughs> latex mask <laughs> <laughs> to make um, Christopher Lloyd stumbled onto the set by accident no no actually there are funny stories about the set from Star Trek 3 because they were filming it next to another movie and they kept people kept wandering across from one set to the other <laughs> in their costumes I think but anyway continue uh, um, and uh, number 10 Splash yeah. wow but see that's an awesome top 10 list but, right there um, best picture yeah Amadeus huh right yeah, well, then they say the Academy's out of touch. <laughs> <laughs> like, we just heard the names of, like, eight, nine, or maybe ten legendary movies. Right. Uh, <laughs> not that Amadeus is a bad movie, you know? No, not at all. Not at all. But it's not Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> I mean, yeah. come on. <laughs> no. so, Pete, so, Pete and Matt, what you're saying basically is that um, to, to look at that list of you know, top grossing movies from 1984 – that's a truer representation of sort of like uh, you know, sort of what was really popular, uh, capturing the popular imagination at the time compared to what you see in the IMDb list now, which one could possibly think of saying like, oh, that should show what's what has really, you know, sustained the popular imagination since then. It wasn't sort of just a flash in the pan at the time. You know, right? I think it's it, oh, go ahead. We deal with this a lot. I, uh, Pete and I both have a background in English letters and we deal with this a lot because the the works that are transmitted down through. Um, you know, the quote-unquote Western canon or through, I guess, through the kind of institutionalized teaching of English literature are not the, the, the works that, that everybody liked at the time. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They all wanted to see Titus Andronicus and Pericles, Prince of Tyre, back in the 1590s and early 1600s, you know? And, right. uh, so that was a Star Trek three of its day? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty close, right? <laughs> Titus Andronicus, yeah, probably. Do, the... do, 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 do. Hey, nani, 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 hey, nani, nani, ho. <laughs> 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 That's like what? 
How would you call that in like in like uh, in like medieval church modes? If it's like Axel F, how do you how do you describe that song? Uh, anyway, continue. continue. Yeah, Axel Nixolydian. I don't know. No, it's a, it's a Dorian mode song, isn't it? Uh, oh, is Jordan it? can actually probably tell you better. Oh no, it has a flat six. Never mind. It's a it's a um, Aeolian mode song. It's an Aeolian mode. Uh, Aeolian F. No, I guess it's not F. Why is it called Axel F? Is it an F? Probably. These are things that I could have found out ahead of time before <laughs> opening my mouth about them. Um, oh, no, but no, we were answering a substantive question that involved actual analysis from Mark before we got sidetracked on so this that, nonsense. You know what I mean? That there's, we have two ideas. I mean, you know, one is what... Um, what was really going on historically. And a lot of that has to do with popular taste at any given time. And popular taste at any given time is one of the things that really gets lost to history. Because what comes yep. down to us is what successive generations uh, have valued. And very often the values of successive generations are not uh, you know, coextensive with the values of, of a particular time. Right. I, I would add a couple. Yeah. Okay, go ahead, Jordan. It's an oversimplification, though, to say that um, that we're all just wrong, and that the important stuff is what was really popular at the time. Sure. Because Splash is a movie that still exists today, right? You can go and rent that if you want to. Mm-hmm. People still do watch it and review it on IMDb. Um, and Amadeus is a movie that still exists today. And the fact that the reputation of Amadeus has gone up over time, while that of Splash has kind of trailed off, yeah. you know, says something about Amadeus and about mm-hmm. Splash. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, a couple of things that I would, I, would, I would add is um, the thing that I really like about those lists is that they, they don't change, right? Like, they, they are tied to something that – it's different ideas of truth. Like, this is a correspondence idea of truth, right? The idea that, tr- that something is true if it resembled something that, that has happened in reality, right? Uh, is that it, it's, a, it's a statement that's a reflection of something that has sort of an independent confirmation, that's extant. So the top 10 movies in 1984, that is a statement. When I say that it's true, it means that it corresponds to this data that comes from 1984. Uh, and, and it's, it's, that's what makes it true. The top IMDb top 250 uses a different kind of model of truth, and it would be different. I'm, I'm not exactly positive what kind it would be, but it's definitely a reflection of at least, you know, uh, what people now think, even though it's also a list historically of the votes. Uh, I can't get the page to to load that would give me the name of, of this other theory of truth. But um but yeah, and it's just it's just it doesn't it, it doesn't give you I like thing about the thing I like about IMDB is the sense of discovery that it offers. It's like, oh I, he was in this movie and he was in that movie and he was in that movie. And it's like, oh and I saw that movie and I know who that guy is. Like it's the sense of finding things out. It's this huge repository of information about something that you really like, and it creates these cool moments of discovery. The top 250 is not a place where you have too many moments of discovery because the, bo- the votes of the users are biased towards things that people by and large already know by word of mouth and, and by their own social interaction. So um, if I want to find out what is going to be on the IMDb 250, I could use Facebook to do it, right? Or I could, I could scan a Twitter feed and I could find out what people are talking about, what people are thinking. And that will give me a sense for movies that will do well in the IMDb top 250. But if I want to know something new about a movie, that you know, that, and I want to discover something that I'm not already part of from my own kind of perspective. Then I like going back to the older stuff and looking at the records that don't change because they aim to reflect something, some sort of confirmation in the past rather than what's extant today. I mean, and they, actually, oh, sorry, go ahead. If they if they kept the 250 
voting from each year. So you could go back and look, you know, it's been 20 years, right? Well, that's what Mark see, does. Mark, Mark does yeah. that every year. Yeah, exactly. But, but, uh, but if, if you could go and look at what were the top 250 in the first year that they allowed voting, that would be Yeah, that would be interesting. That would definitely mm-hmm. be interesting. Yeah. And, and I would also, they, like, they probably tweaked their formula over time as well if they had uh, to, to sort of reflect the, the, the growing body of data they were collecting from user, uh, user vote, yeah. right? After, like, the debacle when, like, The Passion of Ayn Rand became the number one movie of all time for, like, a week and a <laughs> half because of these, like, three douchebags who, like, developed a bot that ran IMDb. I mean, it didn't actually happen, but, like, probably. <laughs> Some friends so that's of mine another, did, That's did, another truth value that we can talk about. <laughs> well, when, actually, a couple of my friends did do that to the Time Person of the Century poll where a couple of my friends from my math class in college did develop a bot that that defrauded the online poll for Time Magazine such that Ayn Rand was, like, in the top ten for a little while. Oh, was it, but, were you, I mean, were you friends with 4chan at the time? 4chan didn't exist yet. This was, like, way back in the day. I guess. And, uh, and so, and this, but this was, I mean, it, a lot of people were doing this. That, that whole vote was characterized by a rivalry between the Turkish and Greek governments who were trying to advance Ataturk and Winston Churchill, respectively, as, like, the top people of the 20th century. But the other thing I wanted to add is that, and I actually thought of this today and can't believe I didn't think of it when you asked the question, I'd love to have a database of movie marquees, going back over time ah, because because movies don't exist independently in the viewing space right like they they are juxtaposed against each other so yesterday i could have gone to go see jackass 3d which i did go see or i could have gone to see the town or i could have gone to see the social network right or a couple of other movies and uh, i think it's cool when you want to think about these movies one piece of information that gets lost is like what other movies were in the theater at the same time and in the same kinds of theaters and i think that that's part of the sort of you know, if you really, I mean, they're not obsessive, but if you just enjoy that discovering things about these movies that you care about and discovering more about the sort of past artistic experience of your people. Um, I mean, these are our beaded belts. These are our Mohican beaded belts that we carry to the Huron to try to barter for the life of, uh, of um, Madeline Stowe. Like, this is like our cultural history. Um, that's part of it, you know? Like, that's definitely part of it. <laughs> I went yesterday to, uh, to see Red, which was, which was a lot of fun. Oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, they they censored Jackass 3D on the on the movie marquee. They used, called- aster- <laughs> they used asterisks <laughs> for the S's. And oh, in my mind, working the way that it works, I thought that they looked like uh, like anuses. <laughs> Wait, they they put the asterisks over the S's, so it was just yeah. Jack A, Jack A, you know, star star. 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 Wow, 3D. See, you know, I always thought that putting the Jack in front of it made it less offensive for some reason. I'm not sure exactly entirely why. It doesn't because, that it, because it makes it yeah it may more directly refers to a donkey right it's not a it means male ass right yeah I, I also remember it somehow referring to Andrew Jackson very specifically and that's why the Democratic logo was a donkey I remember you hearing know, that at some indeed, point indeed male ass is something that you would see were you to go to that movie am I right <laughs> not because he was gay just because he was a lush and his pants were coming off all the time <laughs> is that yeah, well, tell yeah, us yeah. Pete tell us about uh, tell us about Jackass 3D tell us about the experience. Oh, I thought you were going to say, tell us about the presidency of Andrew Jackson. I'm like, well, first he drove the Indians out of their home. And then the Supreme there Court was this said, enormous cheese. Yeah. And then John Marshall is saying, no, you can't take away the, the contracts you made with the independent Indian nations. And Andrew Jackson said, that's a great decision. Let's see you enforce it. And he, he created the tale, Trail of Tears. No, uh, Jackass 3D was marginally less painful for the people involved in it than the Trail of Tears was. Uh, <laughs> how do you like that saying? Huh? <laughs> boom. Oh, that was a seminal segue. Oh, boom. Another joke about Florida Native Americans. 
Um, oh, 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 man. <laughs> wow. So when Jackass, I saw Jackass 3D with a philosophy graduate student who's working on her dissertation, a good friend of mine who works in a stem cell laboratory, myself and an attorney. And we finished watching it. And the guy who works in the stem cell lab said, I've never laughed harder than that at anything in my entire life. <laughs> now, this person's also an improv comedian. So, I mean, you know, go figure. Uh, but no, that movie was really fun and really funny. Um, now, of course, it's like, oh, well, maybe I should go see it. Hey, you know what? I don't like watching feces get all over people. Don't see this movie. This movie has feces on people all the time. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's like, there's a lot of scenes where the cameraman, there's a guy who's taking I think documentary footage of the filming of Jackass. Uh, at least they call him a documentarian. He might just be one of their cameramen. But uh, he frequently loses it and vomits on camera at the things that are happening. That he's oh, taking man. Of. Um, it's just, it's this marvelous, um, just, uh, just this assault on the ability <laughs> to experience and depict things on, on moving pictures. It's just like. <laughs> It's it's just it's marvelous. Now I never really watched the TV show, but I did see the first movie, and I really enjoyed the first movie as well. Um, Jordan, I, I think we saw the second movie together a couple of years ago, right? No, and, I don't believe so. Not me. Uh, I, I saw it with with at least some other uh, folks uh, our, of our mutual friends, and I had a similar reaction to what Pete said before. Uh, but so it's like coming out of it and like saying, feeling like you've never laughed harder at anything in your life. You've never yeah. seen anything quite like that. So yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, oh, did Jordan? Did you have an experience like that watching Jackass ever? I'm oh, sorry, uh, Jackass. I mean, I've, uh, I've never seen the movie, so I've seen some oh. Jackass and like little bits of them on uh, on TV. And yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing this one because I'm actually a big fan of 3D. I mean, I I don't think that all the movies that come out in 3D are good, but I think that uh, the possibility for doing really interesting things with 3D exists, and yeah. that probably this is going to be like you know. You, you can't accuse Jackass of just throwing it in as a gimmick. They're going to show you things in 3D that need to be in 3D, I'm uh, guessing. This is correct. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there are certain things. Now, they don't totally like hit the 3D super hard, right? Like They have two sort of high-budget uh, shots in the very sequences in the, that are done in one single shots at the very beginning. Well, it's not true to say they're in single shots because there's lots of special effects. But there's like an opening montage. Well, it's not a montage either. It's like a sort of opening semi-fictionalized pan across almost like a magical realist jackass scape. Um, <laughs> where like all the jackass people are in a room and like crazy things are happening and it's all in slow motion and like not all of it could really be happening there but some of it could be happening and you know some of it is happening so like someone gets catapulted in the air and does like three head over heels twists in the air before landing and you know that they didn't really do that but like they probably did hurt their head when they fell on it uh, and at the end they do the same thing but with explosions um which is also really funny, and they up the ante even higher. But no, I mean, they don't really use the 3D a ton, but they use it well. Like, this is a movie where there is nothing in the movie that is made worse by the presence of 3D. It, it, although it depends on how you define worse. Like, <laughs> it depends on what you mean by that. <laughs> yeah, I don't yes, want to spoil it. <laughs> if you don't like seeing people put things in their butts, then this is not the movie for you. That, that's okay. From a more serious standpoint, and this is something I could toss to you guys too. One of the interesting things about Jackass, as where it resides in the culture, is that there are in the lots butt? in the butt. No. Resides, is that, is no. that where it resides? In the back of the seat of a Volkswagen? No, no, no. Yeah. Um, the, where <laughs> Jackass re- resides in the culture is that there are people who routinely do more extreme things than what the people on Jackass do. 
But those people do not tend to exist in the same cultural space that Jackass exists in, which is as like a fairly mainstream entertainment that regular people do. So one of the things that you sort of had dawns on you over time watching these people is like Steve-O is an actual circus freak, right? Like, like, like when you start thinking like these, like this guy is a circus freak. He's put hooks in his body. Like you hear stories about him stapling his scrotum to things. Like, like he doesn't do that in the movie, either of those things. But like, like the level of punishment that he subjects his body to in his like touring show is much more characteristic of a circus freak than of like a television star. Um, now in the context of Jackass, this he's, what he's doing seems novel. Right, an extreme, but in the context of like actual hardcore circus freakery, like I really have no idea how hardcore he really is. And there are certain scenes in Jackass that were they to happen in like alt creepy pornography would like be fairly commonplace, but because they happen in Jackass, they're like extreme and they like assault the senses. It's a really strong case for the context of a work of art mattering for the interpretation of the work of art. Um, and also, of course it's amazing that they make so much money doing it because you'd think all these other people, if they really wanted to see dudes like shooting darts out of their butts, spoiler, um, <laughs> with dart guns and farts, that uh, they would go watch that on the website that's already dedicated to it rather than spend $13 to go watch it in a movie theater. Huh. In um, well, it's in 3D. It's in 3D, that's true. So, like, I mean, does that make sense to you guys? Like, that, that sort of, the jackass people are sort of subsets of other performative disciplines. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, the thing that they create stands on its own in its own place. Uh, and so it, it, it evades through the way that it's constructed classification in line with all those other things. And not just because it's produced by MTV or it's mainstream. Like, I really do think that they frame the narrative. I think Johnny Knoxville is the key to that show, and he's so good. Uh, he's just, in the movie, he's so good at contextualizing and bringing together everything with, like, a really – just his presence over the whole thing as the sort of normal everyman master of ceremonies kind of guy who also engages in the stunts but is also kind of like the pater familias of the crew. Um, I don't know. It, it's definitely, like, a, a cool thing. Um, so, so dude, my question is do we have other examples of sort of an extreme subculture uh, of entertainment like – uh, like Jackass uh, entering the mainstream in this in the same way. I mean, the one that comes to my mind, and I'm sure you guys are thinking of a couple, but the one that comes to my mind is like mon- monological performance art. Um, <laughs> like, and this is something that I know Rather is very perf- very comfortable with and knows a lot about stuff like the vagina monologues, right? Sure. Like the vagina monologues is like an edgy ish kind of thing. I mean, the vagina monologues themselves are the most mainstream of their ilk, right? But like. But what the vagina monologues are is pretty much what stand-up comedy is now to a lot of people, right? Like, like stand-up comedy has been a lot of things, but there's a style of stand-up that's kind of indistinguishable from, like, 70s, 80s, and 90s, like, rebellious confessional uh, performance art. Um, that's like, right. I saw this show. Yeah, I saw the show by Mike Birbiglia on, thir- on Wednesday at the Wilbur Theater in Boston. Great show. You know, I hate the ending, but great show. Uh, Mike Birbiglia is, a, you know, a, a top-notch stand-up. Um, you've, you've seen him before if you don't recognize the name. He does all the shows and nonsense. And he's on This American Life at some frequency as well. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's kind of a recurring guy in This American Life. And I think that, like, This American Life and being part of that has kind of created this bridge from, or he, through his work, has created this bridge from being, like, a stand-up of the sort that might be more familiar to a one who's pretty much doing what, like somebody in the vagina monologues is doing, which is like giving sort of embarrassing stories about their own lives that are meant to kind of shock you into an awareness of the people around you. 
right? And it's supposed to be this kind of like post-Brechtian way of kind of decolonizing uh, entertainment experience, making less of a consumptive act and more of something that's kind of um, actively socially meaningful. Um, there's a lot of theory behind why people do these things, but it turns out that people like to watch them. And I think that's really what it boils down to is like when you're a circus freak, you're doing it because there's a reason to do it. But when you're jackass, you're doing it because you figured out that people want to watch it. Um, and then that just changes the approach. I don't know. Any other examples that you guys can think of? Well, one, I was one of the only people on the podcast last week, so I'm still talking a mile a minute. <laughs> the, the one that comes yeah. to mind is the recent um, kind of retrospective of the performance artist Marina Abramovich that was at the Guggenheim. Uh, uh-huh. Where she did some of her like um, some of her very extreme things, like you know, I carve a you know I carve a communist star into my chest with a razor blade, and uh, and lay on a block of ice so that my body becomes gradually cold and I approach death. And, and hold on, hold on, a second. But, you know, but that's at the Guggenheim, not at the not at the Cineplex. Yeah, but it was also, I mean, it was um, it, well, it was reported throughout the mainstream media. It was you know this this performance art got a lot more attention than I think it. It uh, it would have, but okay. In that, I mean, in that vein, I actually though uh, this is whimsical, but I was I was um, kind of fantasizing a uh, a similar thing of Jackass uh, at at the Guggenheim called the Jackass is present. The artist is present. That, right? Yeah, that show was called. Uh, her show was called the artist is present, and she you know just sat and looked at people all day for like four weeks. Um, but uh, okay, here's uh, you know a um, uh, kind of European avant garde performance art of the twenties and thirties, uh, kind of coming into American popular music in the eighties with Madonna and kind of having its apotheosis in Lady Gaga recently. A lot of the right, stuff, that, how, yeah, a lot of the stuff that Lady Gaga does uh, belongs to the vocabulary of early twentieth century, largely German, but also elsewhere in Europe, Poland, maybe you know, um, performance art uh, and. Um, you know what I mean? And it's nothing new under the sun, but now it's, now it's kind of mass popular entertainment with a huge economic engine behind it. Right, right, right. Like, remember that poster, Jordan, that we got you for your birthday from that Polish jazz exhibit during the communist mm. block years? Like, that, that could be an album cover. For oh, totally, non- totally. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. And, I definitely mean, you, can, you can look at uh, the old Polish movie posters and, and record posters and things like that are fantastic and utterly bizarre. A lot of yeah. them you can get on the um, I would like to say, by the way, that the, the premiere of Jackass was at the Museum of Modern Art here in New York. Wow, really? really? Yeah. That's wild. Huh. Jackass don't or even Jackass 3D? 3D. Ah. 3D. It's yeah. interesting you said that, Stokes, because what I was about to say is that it's really interesting that we've you know, all started to go in this direction of all these avant-garde sort of modern performance art examples of, you know, so using those as analogies for Jackass. And what I was about to go to was, uh, you know, thinking about sort of the crassness and, and, and baseness of nature of Jackass and thinking about uh, the Roman gladiatorial combat and sort of, you know, is, you know, I want to sort of, as a, sort of as devil's advocate, pose this question as, you know, if this is the way that we are entertaining ourselves with self-mutilation and flatulence and feces humor, is this, you know, yet another sign of the decline, further decline of our Western civilization? Well, hold on. I take, I take exception to the idea that we're entertaining ourselves with feces humor only now. Feces humor yeah. has, been, <laughs> has been a staple of our humor. There are many farts in Shakespeare. There are many farts in Aristophanes, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, there, are, there are some great dick jokes in Aristophanes. All right. Okay. So... Uh, 
let me narrow that down a little bit. The the the, the human feces self, uh, depiction self, on self screen. Self mutilation. Sure. Self mutilation. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think so. I think that if anything else, it 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 shows the ascendancy of the culture, right? Because um, if if you aren't if you don't have some sort of powerful social force that's repressing things like this, then they cease to be as entertaining, right? Like like Jackass exists in opposition to the more Victorian inspired social norms that make it strange, right? Like you there's mean, no you mean need- potty training. What? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, if we if we just walked around and let fly where we were standing, like horses do then, you know, somebody doing that on film would not be very entertaining. Yeah. I mean, like, this is speculative and conjecture, but, like, if you were a nomadic tribe and you had to travel through the mountains and a lot of your survival included, like, jumping off of cliffs and, like, diving across rivers and, like, you lost a lot of family members doing this, like, it wouldn't be funny for somebody to to do that, right? Like, it it wouldn't be, like, funny for somebody to be like, oh, shit, I'm jumping off this mountain. I'm really cursing a lot today. It's because this show, this movie is bad influence. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) but, like, but, I mean, I think when you sing that you see in the Bible, and, and I think you see it in a lot of places, is that nomadic cultures, cultures where people do have the experience of one another's dirtiness and riskiness and like the sort of mutilation of the body and it always present because you're always together and you're always out there and there's no privacy and you're in the elements. Like there tends to be a lot of asceticism, at least in the ones that have continued to resonate in today's culture. Like the more you are introduced to the ugliness and the, the sort of um, the, the sort of uh, putrescence of the human body, um, the less entertainment you tend to build around it. And like the less of your culture, it tends to be, and more of your culture tends to sort of get rid of it rather than invite it in. Uh, and I mean, there's a theory of comedy and a theory of, uh, a number of theories of comedy and of performance from the 20th century that say that a lot of our basic reactions and in the, actually late 19th century in France, too, with the Ubu stuff. Uh, mid, I think it's even mid-19th century is Ubu, because he's like the big precursor to a lot of this stuff. He's a French play about a, a king who's also a puppet, and he gets yeah. torn to pieces. And, and it's about the mutilation of the body, right? And it's Jari, that we've yeah, made... Jari. Uh, Jari, exactly. Name of the for yeah, exactly. So in, in Jari, you know, we have, we have the human body torn to pieces. Like, Ubu is the original Steve-O. And he goes out there, and it's like he gets torn apart by a bunch of people who are having a random argument about something. And, like, and it's like, the, this is entertaining to people because we've come through our culture to be indoctrinating this idea that the human body is somehow sacrosanct or indivisible or not a physical object. But we know deep down that it is a physical object. And so there's a comedy of recognition in seeing this thing that we really do know but have sort of convinced ourselves not to think, uh, portrayed and reflected and, and imitated to us. Isn't, I don't uh, know about that, though, uh, because um, I'm thinking like in, in, the, in the 14th century when Europe was basically all dying of the bubonic plague, one of the yeah. big reactions to that was to mortify the flesh, you know? And go around in big parades and watch people mortifying the flesh. So these what do you, are what do you mean the flesh? What do you, what do you mean by that? Like exactly? whip yourself, whip uh, yourself uh, right, 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 for, right. for hours and hours in, in big parades. Very. Uh, and, uh, um. Oh, what's that Dan Brown book? Uh, Angels the, and demons. Yeah, very, uh, very opus from um, from that movie. <laughs> the, the sure, tech, except it's not like a, a not really a creepy thing that a bunch of elites do, but rather a thing that it was it was a mass movement like it wasn't some you know shadowy cardinal in a back room it was yeah. the like the, the illiterate peasants and this was threatening to the church because they were kind of taking the uh 
taking a little bit of the authority out of the hands of the priests, because anybody can get a, any old length of cord and wander around smashing themselves with it. Yeah. Um, but, but this is a case where people are utterly, utterly cognizant of their own mortality. You know, I mean, many people thought that it was going to be the, the end of all things. And for some places it was, you know, there are entire towns that were wiped out by the, by the Black Death. Hi. And the reaction was, was that? I was going to go, hi, I'm Steve-O, and this is the end of all things. I was kind of, uh, kind of thinking that um, Steve-O, had he been born in that time, might have been a saint. You know, rather mm. than a clown. <laughs> I was, Wait, what was that last? Rather than a what? Clown. A clown. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. That's fair. I was he doesn't have a giant tattoo of his own face on his back, giving himself a thumbs up, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. I was thinking that, that Pentheus from the Bacchae is the original Steve-O. <laughs> Wait, the one who gets his head torn off by yeah, his mom? Exactly. <laughs> well, that was the example I was bringing up because we we have this like Victorian conception that classical lit- – and I mean Victorian is a shorthand. It's not just characteristic of Victorian area. I mean it's Augustine as much as anything else. But um, – and I don't mean Caesar Augustus. Um, <laughs> I mean like Alexander Pope Augustine. But it's this idea that like classical literature is devoid of sex and violence and, and like good literature doesn't have sex and violence. When, like, actually, you know what? The people who like good literature and classic literature tricked everybody by picking a lot of stuff that had a lot of sex and violence in it. <laughs> and then speaking hypocritically about the other stuff that had sex and violence in it as if it were bad. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like, you can't watch that porno. I'm watching Caligula, and it's art. You know? Like, it's like... <laughs> yeah, to go back to what I was saying earlier, like, it really was playing devil's advocate and saying, you know, and suggesting that you know, somehow the jackass movies is a sign of decline of Western civilization. I think there's a lot of other things we can point to that are the signs of decline of Western civilization. Uh, you know, like, I don't know, the BP oil spill, for example, uh, or environment. I think that's yeah. a sign that Western civilization is going exactly according to plan. <laughs> the BP oil spill. I mean, that, that's how it works, right? Like, you drill in the ground and you get the stuff out of the ground. And then then that's it. Then you do it again. Yeah, we just got really, really good at it that one time. <laughs> that's, like saying, that's like saying that Bill Buckner's error in the World Series is the end of baseball, when it's in fact like one of the most baseballish moments in all of history. Like it is the fulfillment of baseball. It is not the end of baseball. Um, like the BP oil spill is like the crowning jewel of capitalism because it just shows the moment that it took over the rest of the world. Uh, well, I mean, there are many moments where it does that all the time. And also, it's not fair to call it Western civilization anymore anyway, because it's in the East just as much as in the West now. Well, yeah, it's, um, it's not. I mean, it's increasingly, it's increasingly global civilization. And, exactly. Uh, you know, so that brings up... Uh, the West will come to dominate it less and less as time goes on. Mm. It's another interesting thing about um, this kind of movie where it's basically about people doing things which you're not allowed to do to their bodies, mm-hmm. is that there was a whole sort of genre of these things in the, uh, in the 70s, um, and they all had names like like Mondo Bizarro and Mondo Cane um, was was like the big first one. It means kind of life of a dog. And uh, what they were was again similar shots of like people doing strange things to their bodies and uh, people eating strange things and whatnot. But they were pseudo documentary footage of quote unquote primitive tribes from around the world. And these things made an awful lot of money. But like there was sort of look at what crazy people in Borneo do. And there's a lot of like Mm -hmm. shots of people, you know, slaughtering pigs or eating dog soup or getting tribal tattoos. And I think that while, you know, it's not like we've, uh, we've solved all the problems of the world, but the fact that we've gone from watching people from other places do this stuff and being like, man, I'm glad I'm not like that. 
and then watching Steve-O do this stuff, who is from the same place that we are, and then saying, man, I'm glad I'm not like that, is a, is a small step in the right direction, yeah. probably. Yeah. Sort of, no, though, no, I mean, the, oh. America's a big enough place that, that we can kind of otherize other Americans, you know what I mean? Oh, they're from the South, or, you know what I mean? Or they're, they're rednecks or something like that. Mm. But the people in Jackass aren't really. Yeah. And that's kind of one of the things that's cool about the show is that, yeah, they're, they're a diverse enough set of characters. And like Johnny Knoxville lending his sort of charisma and cachet to the show. Well, they didn't really have cachet before the show. But like as that sort of ringmaster who sets the tone. I mean, you've got Bam Margera, right? He's a skateboarder. And Steve-O is like sort of a circus freak. And then you've got all of the other guys who have their own little sticks sh- and Wee Man and all that stuff. Um, but, like, yeah, there's not – I couldn't point to them having an individual trait other than being jackasses, right? Which is Yeah, like, they're, they're bros, right, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the idea is, is they're, like, the ma- they're the majority, right? Um, it would be f- really like- funny if they did jackass in other countries with the equivalent of bros, like, in those countries. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, it would be really great to watch, like, the sort of white van British version of, like, you know, the guys with the pit bulls and, like, the shaved heads, like, doing this. Or, like, a bunch of, like, uh, really, like, you know, very uh, dance-enthusiastic dudes in India. Or, I don't know. It would be, <laughs> I don't know. It would be a fun time. A bunch <laughs> of, like... Hey, there's a question no, to ask. Is, is, is jackass somehow a uniquely American phenomenon? Is this sort of an only-in-America thing? No. Well, there's the, the, no, there's the ancient people, the, the people, the tradition of lying on beds of nails and walking on coals as like acts of purification, enlightenment, faith, or, or personal aestheticism are global, right? Like, like it's, people do this all over the place, like beat themselves up over religion and, and, and over like the mortification. I mean, religion is almost an excuse. It's tough to say exactly. Well, what it's difficult. I mean, it's, well, it's difficult, uh, you know, it's difficult actually to pinpoint, I think, in the case of, of Jackass. And I think Jordan brought up something about the, about context before, um, you know, that I think bears repeating that, you know, these aren't, these aren't designed either to atone for sins. That is, Jackass does not atone for sins and Jackass does not induce a higher level of consciousness. You know, it's, uh, it's what, um, I don't know. It's a, it's a Except refl- in so far as much as it induces like arousal, right. And like excitement and adrenaline and things like that. Adrenaline. Right? And, like, sure. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, um, I, yeah. I was thinking of a, of a Louis Bunuel movie called The Phantom of Liberty when Jordan talked about, like, um, if we all farted like horses, it, you know, farts wouldn't be funny. And there's, there's a great sequence in it where the, um, the, uh, the family sits down around the table to go to the bathroom and they all go to bath- the bathroom together. And then one person goes into a... Um, uh, one person goes into a uh, a tiny little room, a tiny little restroom like room, and like eats a chicken leg, and you know, and things like this. And it's it's about the the I don't know the the uh, arbitrary nature of what we're willing to do in public and or 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 not. And I think Jackass speaks to that. You know, um, uh, what what is what is specta- uh, You know, what is fodder for spectacle? What is um, what is permissible to uh, to be in public? And I think it has the, the it has to do with the, a lot of it has to do with the context of uh, uh, the culture that it's in. Cool. I mean, it's, it is true though that uh, many cultures have had use for things like this, where people sort of do extreme things to their body. Um, and to violate social taboos and that like sometimes it's comedic and quite often there is a, a kind of religious thing to it, which is very interesting that like those seem to be the two ways that you can go with it sort of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not aware of a third reason that people have done this kind of thing. Other than to like test their strength or will, right. Or like a, uh, as like a masculine 
um, kind of thing. Well, comedic, uh, I mean, comedic kind of tends to carnival, carnival-esque, don't you think? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Well, because that, that's the opposite, because carnival-esque, carnival-esque is the inversion of the social order, and then the religious stuff is the uprightness of the social order. So it's like a tool for either turning it upright or turning it upside down. Um, yeah, although it's it's a certain kind of religion, right? Like it tends yeah. to be associated with uh, with very radical religion. Um, yeah. Again, like Dan Brown does not give a, an accurate portrayal of what mortification of the flesh is all about uh, when he's using it to just sort of make his Catholics more creepy, or what, um, yeah, to make certain sects of Catholics Catholics more creepy. I mean, in well, in Christianity, asceticism sort of emerged when when persecution of Christians went down right so that like you know we're not being put to death by the romans anymore so now we have to kind of put ourselves to death in in a way yeah which is kind of uh, unfortunate because it's like hey like enjoy the fact that things are better than they used to be Uh, (laughs) you know it's like oh man guys you know like the women they aren't rejecting us as much anymore like we need to insult each other and and reject each other and not be friends and 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 say bad things to ourselves and refuse to show up to dinner with each other and not you know call what? each other. Wait, what? I'm sorry. I got I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to call it. I'm going to say that jackass as a phenomenon is the the slow building result of America's all volunteer army. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Unpack men, that are, men are no longer men especially like most of the guys from jackass do not come from money, right? Um, so like men who don't have the, the connections to buy their way out of it are no longer going to be forced to be put into an all male environment where their lives are at risk. And while there's probably like, you know, results may, uh, I mean, accounts may vary as to whether there's actually homosexual activity going on all the time, but because it's an all male environment, there's a lot of sort of vaguely, uh, homoerotic posturing that goes there, on. Well, right? anything- Jackass was a- because it's not vague. In Jackass, there's a ton of homoeroticism. Like, right. there's like well, a lot. I would of say in the, in the military, right? Oh, like, yeah. well, you know, I don't I don't want to say that uh, that everyone in the in the army is is gay, but like there are a lot of the rituals that go on that are kind of homoerotic. And oh, yeah, I would no. say that, uh, that that this is you know. One of the best Jack examples. One of the, oh, sorry. One of the best examples of which is the the drill sergeant at the beginning of Full Melt Jar- Jacket, who you know, who one of his insults is, "You're the kind of man who would f another guy in the ass and wouldn't even give him a reach around." You know what I mean? The idea being that you know it's bad to be gay. We're homophobic, right? But also, I you know, here you are in the army. If you are going to f another guy in the ass, uh, you better give him a reach around, or else that's just bad manners. I mean, let's not be too mean to the army because I know that that's not how everybody. And and also, they're they're the Marines in Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. But also, like, that's a movie that tries to show you like the worst of the worst. But I mean, I think that even in much more casual sorts of things, there's a lot of homoeroticism, you know, and just like, um, you know, just. I mean, look at uh, look at the very podcast that Rather and Sheely are on, where they were daring their fans to. uh, to write erotic fan fiction starring the two of them. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no one ever did. That's just narcissism. That's just narcissism right there. That's like, I want to start a story where my penis... Wait, me and Sheila narcissism? No. <laughs> no. This is... <laughs> no! Yes. No! Yeah, no. I think in that case... No, I don't want to say. Look, if you take eroticism to be a part of life, any time that you have a group of exclusively dudes, there's going to be eroticism because eroticism is a part of life, and it's going to be homoeroticism because there's only dudes around. 
Oh yeah, no, definitely. Oh, that's a whole other topic we could get into. I hate this this sort of idea that anything associated with homoeroticism is also associated with like identity political conceptions of homosexuality. Right. Well, you know con- what I mean. Contemporary American identity political conceptions. Yeah, it's like oh, you know, like look at the scene where Othello hugs Iago. Like clearly, they need to get married in Massachusetts, and it's like Massachusetts didn't even exist yet. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, no, they can't get married here because of Doma. And like, the, the play never happened. <laughs> not- uh, well, what else never happened? Do you want to tell us? The, you should email Frodo us. and Sam. What? Oh. You're, you're, you cut in and out there, but that's okay. I'm going to stomp you and uh, put, oh. a, put a lid on this podcast anyway. Um, hey, uh, well, anything homoerotic that you would like to say to us, you can write it in an email at podcastoverthinkingit.com <laughs> or uh, call or text 203-285-6401. Um, we had like five or three, six other things on the agenda that we wanted to get to other than just, uh, <laughs> other than just um, IMDb and, and Jackass, but it was a, it was a good conversation we love for you to join it. Uh, you can do that on the comments, uh, on the show notes, on our website. What website is that, you ask? Why, I will tell you. It is www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably, it probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. I thought you were going to say Encyclopedia Dramatica there for a second. Hi, I'm Steve-O, and this is the end of the podcast.